Good morning, everybody. It is good to be back. Um, I have not preached for weeks, but thankfully we have very capable people, and that's a wonderful thing. So, but it's good to be back. Um, before we even do anything, you know, we were just sitting there, just praying, and we were just, uh, uh, you know, singing worship music. And the idea, you know, is that we were, we, were, we were before God in this place attributing worth to him, worth far exceeding our own, worth far exceeding anything else in this world, recognizing him as our Lord, recognizing him as our Savior. We're gathered together this morning um, as the body of Christ, as the church. I guess the question that, you know, just for you to be considering, like, why are you here this morning? I feel like I ask that question often, but I, I want to, because I want to have that reminder. Why did you come to church this morning? It, it very well just may be a, a habit that you've ingrained in your life, and that's great. That's actually really good, okay? And I hope that habit continues. But, but why are you here? And I can honestly say, and I was just expecting this morning, I know that when we gather before God, it's not just that we come to, you know, receive a good teaching or a nice time of worship and make sure you feel good to walk out. No, 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 but we're, we're coming to meet with God. And we're expecting him to minister to us, to share something to us, to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, to have an encounter with God through his spirit, that happens every week. And that's why we're, we're here, right? So then when we go out to our, our workplaces and our homes and our families throughout the week, that we are not just refueled, if you will, right? But we're, we're ready to bring that encounter with God in us and through us to those that we interact with throughout our week. Um, that's why we're here. So can I just pray? I'm going to pray for our time because um, I, I want this to, a, to be a continued encounter with God this morning that he may speak to us. I'm going to pray for this as we dive into the sermon this morning. Lord, um, what you have done for us by sending your son into this world, Lord, the love and mercy and grace you have shown us, Lord, it's beyond comprehension, Lord, and we thank you. We can never give enough thanks, Lord. Lord, I ask that we wouldn't just be here to sit and to be consumers this morning to just absorb things and leave, but Lord, we ask that you would truly, you would meet us this morning, Lord. That something in our lives might be different because we were here this morning. That something might actually be changed within us and transformed within us because we met with you. Because, Lord, when, when, when we have an encounter with you, when we meet you, everything changes. Nobody stays the same after meeting you. And, Lord, I pray just even for some, perhaps even for the first time that could happen this morning, for others for the umpteenth time, Lord, that we would just have another brush up with your Holy Spirit. And that's what we pray for this morning. Lord, give us open ears to listen to you, to your voice. And may we have the strength by your Spirit to respond. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so 
we are starting a new sermon series for the next three weeks, just a three-week sermon series called Shaped by Jesus. And we're going to be looking at, um, there's many ways, many different forces in our lives that shape us. We're going to be looking at three primary ones. Um, we'll be looking at stories this morning, stories that shape us next week, the things we're in awe of, wonder, and also week three, the truth that should be shaping us. And so um, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, you have a Red Pew Bible, it's uh, page 1156. We're going to be working our way through the first 10 or so verses of the book of Ephesians beforehand. Um, The question I have is, what story shapes you? Stories, they are very powerful in their ability to shape us, to mold us, and to change us. Who enjoys a good book or a good movie? A good story. Everybody, nobody does? There's one. There's two. Of course we do, right? Of course we do. We love a good story. You know, apparently there's a great market for it because if you try to keep up with the newest Netflix something, it's utterly impossible, right? But people must be consuming it because it just, every day there's new movies and new TV shows, just dozens of hours of content. I mean, we are a story culture. I mean, we love our stories, but they aren't neutral in what they do to us and the effect that they have on us. Professor Daniel Taylor wrote a book, uh, The Story Shaped Ethics, that he was talking about. I've mentioned him before, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a Christian leader. Um, He was executed for resisting the Nazis in Nazi Germany, but he was greatly moved by a book in his childhood and throughout his life, and the book was called A Heroes of Every Day, filled with stories of young, courageous, you know, people, selfless people um, who, who were with clear thinking often saved the lives of others. And right before he was executed, he was reading Plutarch's Lives as an ancient classic work from the Greeks that shared similar stories of just courageous people who did crazy things. This is what Taylor asks, okay, um, in his book. He says, can we doubt that Bonhoeffer's reading shaped his life? including his decision to risk his life to try and save others. Ethics are more formed by the stories with which we surround ourselves than just by the rules that are drilled into us. Listen to what he says. Tell us what stories you value, and we have a good start on knowing who you are and how you will act in the world. Interesting, right? Tell us what stories you value, And we will have a good indication on how you live and how you act in this world. As we consider the formative power of stories in our lives, I really ask myself, all right, so what is the most influential story in our day, right? What is the most influential story that we watch and we read over and over and over and over and over again? Is there such a thing that we all kind of have in common here in 2022? And I think that there is. On the back of a guy named Joseph Camp, I'm about, to, I'm about to ruin every movie ever for you forever, okay? I love doing that. I'm about to ruin everything for you. Um, it's great. So on the back of Joseph Campbell's work uh, that he called The Hero's Journey, another guy named Dan Harmon, he, he kind of simplified his work and showed us that we, as humans, this is really crazy stuff, not just like today's humans, not just today's people, but even in the most ancient of times, somehow we as people, we create the same sort of story, the same kind of story over and over again. 
that w- whether it was books, you know, or plays, or movies, or so forth, we've been telling the same story over and over again without even communicating to one another. It's like it just comes out of us, out of our psyche as people. The story we're going to see this morning is, is compelling for humanity, but it ultimately falls short. I'm going to argue this morning that the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is what obviously must be shaping us. But not just that, but it's far superior to this story that we always seem to produce when we tell, you know, our, write our books and make our movies. So to get there, we're going to briefly look at Rocky. Because, you know, I'm a Rocky fan. I think I've probably talked about him before, that movie. Because, hey, the stories we value, et cetera, right? Okay, well, the Rocky movie is something I value. But we're going to use that to kind of help us understand what the story is. I have a slideshow behind us. It goes like this. The first slide here is a circle, okay? Because in these stories that we tell, whoever the, the hero of the story is, where the hero begins, where he ends, it's the same location. It's just that person throughout their journeys change throughout the way, right? So the first stage of the story begins with you or the main character, and, you know, in the Rocky movies, this is Rocky, the mundane guy living on the streets, you know, the lone shark, the amateur boxer, et cetera, just a regular old Joe Schmo, right? But the next stage of the hero's journey, if you will, a need presents itself. A challenge comes up from this regular old person who's just like you and I, this, this big challenge in the movie of Rocky. The big challenge is, of course, the champion of the world, Apollo Creed, wants to fight you, you amateur nobody. He wants to fight you right? It's this big new challenge. And then he has to decide in our stories if they're going to say yes or no. Are you going to accept this and like actually tackle this new challenge? And this is when usually the mentor in our stories show up. For Rocky, it was Mickey. Gandalf, you know, showed up for Frodo, etc. Obi-Wan Kenobi showed up for Luke Skywalker. They're all the same story. But anyway, so here is Mickey shows up for Rocky, and he accepts the challenge, and then the search begins. It's the journey, and this is, you know, cue the training montages in the Rocky movies, right? He's getting ready. This is a perilous journey. There's all sort of, you know, hard things to do, hurdles to jump, and these challenges to overcome, but in the process, they're changing. In the process, they're being formed into somebody different. In stage five, is to find a stage when the, the challenge is finally discovered and they finally get to what they're looking to face. And for Rocky, he realizes at the, in the movie the night before that it's not about fighting Apollo Creed. He says, you know, I think I have a slide here. Or maybe, I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter if I win this fight, says Rocky. Nobody's ever, gonna, nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. If I go the distance, I know for the first time in my life, I'm not just another bum. So he was really fighting himself, right? And so um, the next stage is they, they take it. They go out and they take the challenge and they win, right? Rocky goes the distance. He's still standing. The bell rings. And, you know, he, he brings that back home, stage seven and stage eight he's changed. He's different. The journey transformed him into somebody new and somebody different. And now they're back with their old family and friends, this new person who they get to almost reintroduce themselves to. There you have it. That's every movie ever. I just ruined everything for you. Okay. But there's something about that journey that we just described that's compelling in our human spirits that say, yeah, like wouldn't that be great if I could go on a, some kind of adventure, adventure right? But my, here's my question, though. Like, has this shaped you? Is there a chance that you've been shaped by these kinds of stories that I just shared and not quite realized it? 
I'm convinced that when we watch over and over again this kind of story, that we, may, we might just be feeding a monster inside of us. Because literally since the days of the Odyssey from the Greeks all the way to the Ghostbusters, this is the same story that we tell, right? It's the same as that thing. It's hardwired in our DNA. It's buried somewhere in our minds, right? And, and I think it's buried there because you and I are looking for something different, a different world. I think we're also, um, it, it tells us that something's broken here, something's wrong here, and, and maybe some new challenge can help me fix what is wrong. Maybe there's a greater world, a greater pathway to a better life than this mundane thing that I've been given, right? Because whatever mundane life I have doesn't really seem to be cutting it. Where is my exciting adventure that's going to transform me out of this mundane existence? Could it be that something better awaits me somewhere? What opportunity is there in front of me that if I only reached out and grabbed and decided to go, I could escape this mundane life that I currently live in? Has it, is there a chance that this has shaped us as a culture, shaped us as people who may be, you know, years into marriages? They're like, oh, this is mundane. Is there something better? Is it about young people, right, before we take the plunge into what may be considered, quote, unquote, mundane living? Well, I don't even want to do that. I want to live in a permanent adventure mode. I don't want to go to that mundane life. I, don't, I want to just live in adventure, right? These things just may be shaping us. I'm going to look at Ephesians 2 right now. Because if you want to call it this hero journey, right, we did, we're talking about, it's really a story of salvation, Rocky was, quote-unquote, saved from his regular mundane existence when he became, you know, the top contender and the one who did the unthinkable with the world champion. At, at its core, we watch these movies, we read these books and these stories, and we're watching somebody be saved or be transformed. It's scratching the itch in our souls that is looking for transformation, that's looking for salvation. I think we're all on the hunt for that. So Paul tells his version, if you will, of the hero's journey in Ephesians 2. Uh, he's writing to a Christian church, okay? His audience is Christian. But let's see how Paul describes this journey of the Christian. I'm going to, we're going to see it is quite different. It's extraordinarily different. I really hope we can pay attention to this. We're going to just want to walk through, you know, the good news this morning, the gospel according to Ephesians chapter 2. So let, let's look into this. We'll have more slides to kind of just keep tracking us through our, our journey here in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin here in verse 1 in chapter 2. So here we go. Stage 1 is you. How does Paul start the journey here for us? Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Well, that's exciting, right? We're dead in our sins? That's stage one? Yeah. We're not even in a mundane existence. We, we started off spiritually dead, deceased, devoid of life. Devoid of life from what? Transgressions and sins. All the marks we missed, all the targets we aimed and failed at to hit the bullseye, all the times, this is what transgression literally means, all the times we did what we knew, that, that moral code that's just in us, that's buried in us, that we, we knew that we were going against our own conscience, but we tried to somehow, you know, repress that conscience and transform the conscience to say, it's okay, and you go ahead and do that, 
right? Just a little side note. Imagine trying to convince yourself that cheating or stealing is okay than doing it and trying to live afterwards. Maybe you're like, I tried to do that once. It doesn't work out. You lose sleep, right? Because this code inside of you says, no, where did the code come from, right? That's transgressions. We're disobeying God's law that he has placed on our own hearts. That's transgressions, falling short of that moral code. And all of these things in our life, they create a darkness in us. They pile up within us. And Paul says, yeah, because you're spiritually dead. You're spiritually devoid of life, that's the real problem from humanity. It's not a mundane existence. It's like, what, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with the fallenness of your own heart? What do you do with those thoughts that you know are disordered, right? What, what, what do you do with that? What happens? And Paul continues to unpack this to describe that need stage. Listen to this. He, he keeps going. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 2, in which you used to live, speaking to Christians who know Jesus, we'll get to this later on as we continue on, who used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, who? All of us. That means all literally means all in the Greek. It just means all. Everybody. Everybody. All of us also lived according, or uh, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is very uplifting reading, right? About to get very uplifting here in a minute, but it starts off. See, in this world, there is a kingdom right now this is part of our story. We've got to pay attention to this. There's a, a kingdom that is actually global. It's a kingdom over all nations. It has its own ruler. Paul refers to this ruler as the ruler. Some translations may say prince, if you have that, of the kingdom of the air. The air is an effort to locate this kingdom. It's, it's everywhere, in other words, is what Paul is trying to say. Elsewhere, this, this ruler is called Satan. It's, it's not really a name as much as it's what he does. He's the accuser. And beneath him are fallen spirits, dark ones, evil ones. This kingdom Satan rules. It, it, it drives us towards things like destruction, towards enslavement to sins and addictions, towards a never-ending goose chase of self-satisfaction, often at the expense of those around us. He drives us to a brewing discontent within us that says, man, I could be so much more, right, if I just had it my own way. And this is the kind of the lie that was told to Adam and Eve on like page you know, one of the Bible was, you know, yes, God made Adam and Eve in his image, but Satan shows up and says, ah, did you know you can be even more like, you can be more like God? You can be something more? Did you know that? If you just take out and grab it, you can be more than what God even made you to be. You can be more. We don't visually see this kingdom often. Seldom do people really catch a glimpse of this. Sometimes it actually does manifest itself, but in the sickness of our hearts is present all times around us. It's, it's the need stays for Paul, if you will, right? And how can humans break out of this? Can we break out of this on our own, like our heroes and heroines in our stories? Maybe with a little help from a mentor, right? With Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever, you know, Mr. Miyagi or they're all the same movie. But, you know, the mentor can show up and help you, right? Maybe that's what we need, just like a mentor. But the next slide shows us that we are now entering the, the go stage. This is where for Paul, the story gets very different 
Everything changes here from the stories we're so accustomed to tell in our, in our culture. This is where the story changes. Rather than you and I deciding to step out on an adventure that will eventually save us and, and transform us into that hero, right, who can solve the challenges and all of our needs, someone else enters the story and does the saving. Somebody else inserts the story and kind of takes center stage here. Let's just dive in here. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy. The story comes to a quick halt. Okay, Paul describes our needs and how we are, right? We're in the state of just kind of lostness where sin kind of rules and reigns in our hearts. We know we need to break free of this, break out of this. And Paul doesn't say, so get to work and break out of it. No, he says, but God shows up. But God, because of his love, intervenes. But God enters our own story because we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix our own hearts. We're spiritually bound by these dark powers so much and so much greater than we could imagine. If we tried to save ourselves on our own, we will only destroy those around us, including ourselves. But the good news of Jesus says that there is a reality embrace that says you can't. You just simply can't, if you will, be the hero of your own story. You can't be the one who fixes what's in front of you. You simply cannot be. It doesn't matter if Yoda showed up. Same idea, mentor, right? Same movie. Yoda shows up. It doesn't matter. You can't fix yourself. The scriptures are clear that we don't have the tools we need to save and transform ourselves. Because remember, here's the key. You were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people can't spiritually awaken themselves up. You need to remember that all of our, all of our hungers for meaning, all of our hungers for are spiritual in nature. And this hero's journey is really a deep spiritual story about the discovery of meaning, ultimately, right? But if the Bible is right, and I'm convinced that it is, we're seriously deceased people, spiritually deceased people by nature. We need far more than just somebody to help us. We need a miraculous act of life imparted to us through supernatural means by someone on the outside. Let me say it one more time. We need help from the outside, life from the outside, to be supernaturally given to us to awaken us because we are spiritually dead. And so as we'd see in the next slide, the go stage is just eliminated. And also the search stage is eliminated too because we're spiritually dead. We can't even, we can't get up. There's, we can't do anything. Spiritually dead people can't do anything spiritually because they're spiritually dead. But, but friends, somebody did go. Okay? Somebody did go after us. You understand here? Do you guys see how this story works here? Somebody did go. Somebody did go after us because Paul said, but God, driven by his mercy, driven by the richness of his love for us, his great love for us, verse 4, we can keep going here in that slide, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. 
God sent Jesus into this world to set the captives free. God sent Jesus into the op- to open the eyes of the blind, to free the oppressed, to light the burdens of those in spiritual poverty, those who are spiritually dead, to give hope and to give life to this world by becoming hope and life and grace and mercy for our salvation. He went, he took the burdens of all that is broken in this world on his own shoulders in our place and as our substitute not because he needed any saving, but rather humanity did. And this is where something very important happens. We need to really pay close attention to Paul's words and the language he uses. For the Christian, our story becomes unified to the story of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Okay? In these movies we watch, in this hero's journey, it's always the, the, the hero, right, who's the center. It's, it's, it's them, is his or her story, the whole entire movie. But as Christians, our story gets blended with Jesus. We become participants in Jesus' story. Listen to some of these verses. I've said these before from the pulpit many times, but we need to, like, we need to hear this, okay? Our stories become participants in the story of Jesus. Why else would Paul say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, Well, he wasn't actually on the cross with Christ. We know it's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is he saying? The sin within us has been put to death. The strongholds of Satan and his kingdom of the air have been broken through the death of Christ, for it was on the cross as he wore the crown of thorns that he truly became our king. And so when we are liberated from this kingdom of Satan, when we are delivered from our own sins, we can see that the cross was what put those things to death in our life. When the Holy Spirit shows up, when we give faith to Jesus, Paul says, yes, they're dead. It's almost like I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to those things now. I'm dead to them. I have died to those things, but we are also, if you will, co-resurrected with Christ. We will be when he returns in flesh and blood. We will receive new bodies in the day when he returns. But today, our spiritually dead state is forever reversed in Jesus. When he busted out of the tomb on Easter morning, we did as well. We were made alive in him. When you become a Christian, you bust out of that sin tomb. You bust out of that death tomb, that spiritually dead tomb. You break out of there because Paul said if he catched it, he said if he caught it, He made us alive with Christ. In our spiritually dead state, now we've been raised up. We've been made alive with Christ. This new life of Christ is shared and given to us by the Holy Spirit. All of this while we were still dead in our transgressions. Right? We didn't do this. It was an act of God. We couldn't have done any of this because we were still spiritually dead. All of this is by grace. By grace, you have been saved. And even more so, says Paul, we were co-exalted with Christ. As he took the highest seat in the cosmos at the right hand of the Father, Paul says, in our new union with Christ, we are also seated with him in the heavenly places. Friends, we are not the center of our own story. We are not the center of our own story story. We are not in control of our own story. There's no hope if you were in control of your own story. You will find no hope if you try to take control of your own story. So many churches preach about Jesus as if he's our Mickey or, you know, our Gandalf to come and just kind of help us out. I can't tell you how many sermons I hear 
of like, you need help? Well, Jesus is here to help you out. You know, he's here to kind of just, you know, encourage you and to help you on your journey in life. Like, no, he's not. I mean, partially sure. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's so much, at minimum, he's that. I guess he's not less than that, but he's so much more than just a mentor for us. He's our Lord. He's our Christ. He is our Savior. Here is our hope. He is our life. Do you understand this? this? That's so much better good news than him simply just being a helper for us. The Holy Spirit certainly is, but he's our Savior. He's our Lord. That's not how the scriptures describe what it means to follow Christ. Jesus makes this truth of our image bearing, that we are all made in God's image, a reality by spiritually joining us to himself through the Holy Spirit. And when we take on the life of Christ as our own, his way of living becomes our own. When his power becomes available through the Holy Spirit, it is in that life that we begin to discover what it really means to be human, how to live, how to love, how to interact with our families and our neighbors and coworkers, how to forgive, how to give grace, how to speak truth, just like Jesus did. His way of life begins becoming our own. And rather than like our heroes do in our stories that we see in our culture, rather than needing to escape the mundane life we live in, Jesus transforms us here and now. And suddenly what we may think as of mundane things, when we see in light of Jesus and his kingdom, things become beautiful. Things become wonderful. Things become more opportunities to serve and to love others and rather just simply mundane living. So I want to summarize I hope you get a clear picture of this story, the gospel story here. Let's summarize this in the next few slides. You are in need, so Jesus went. He searched. He's the one who journeyed through the trials and tribulations by becoming human, a human being for you. And you didn't find God because you were spiritually dead. Rather, while you were dead in your trespasses, he found you. That's huge, guys. He found you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is. You know, he came to save a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I was found. He found you. Through his great and immense suffering on your behalf, he found you dead in your sins and gave you the faith you need to believe in him to find new life, to be raised with him. In the next slide, it says God takes you in our, in our story here, and he makes you alive in Christ. You see how it's Jesus who takes center stage here, and our story becomes his? And if your life was a play, right, he would, he would be center here. Stage seven in the next slide, rather than you bringing all of this home, you're given a new home. You're adopted into a new family. You're raised and exalted to the heavenly places in Christ, seated with him in the heavens. This is your story now. So what happens next? Why did Jesus save us from the ruler of the power of the air? Why did he free us from our oppressed state? Why did he forgive us of our sins? Why was he raised on our behalf? Verse 7 in Ephesians says this. In order, all of this happened. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen, this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. It is a gift of God. Not by your own works, because you can't boast about it, right? 
You can't boast that this is yours, right? God has given this to you. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the final stage is really the last stage, now that you've been raised in Christ, now that you've placed your faith in him and he's your Lord, he is your Savior, you are now changing because the Spirit of God fills you. The Spirit of God just, he, he fills you, he gives you a heart of flesh instead of that heart of stone, and he begins working in you. And Paul calls us then God's workmanship through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. If we can sum up the Christian life, Jesus, when he was asked, you know, what is the greatest commandments? Love God and love neighbor. This is the workmanship of God through us, right? Paul is trying to tell us this is the kinds of works we are prepared to do, to be agents of, of God who, who love him and who love our neighbor to spread this good news of forgiveness of sins to those around us. And so on the back end of our sermon, I want to call the worship team up um, here and I have a few more questions. I just laid out the story of the good news. You've heard it before here. You want to hear it again and again and again. Because I hope what just happened is I told that story. You can, if, if, if you're a Christian here, been walking with Jesus for some time, I hope you can kind of relate to that story, right? I hope you can kind of find yourself in that story that we just told of when you met Jesus, of when you first met him and he began changing you. And you realized, yeah, I remember when I was in that state of sin, you know, or even in your Christian life, I remember when he once again, just offer forgiveness and, and the power of the Spirit to transform me. I remember that when that happened, like, and you can trace yourself in that story, right? So when it comes to your own story, does the cross and resurrection of Jesus come to mind? When you think about your own story, are those events of Christ, do they come to your mind as events that you can, like, yeah, I remember when, when my sin was nailed to the cross, I remember when I first realized that. And I remember when, you know, I fell into sin once again, when I realized when I repented of that and I felt just the, the glory of the washing of renewal of the Holy Spirit to say this sin is gone, you're forgiven, you're cleansed. I remembered when that happened again. I remember the cross. I was like, yes, it's dead on the cross. That's such a huge part of my story that my sin was nailed to the cross. But even more so is the resurrection of Christ a part of your story that says, yes, I, I'm aware that Christ is making me alive, that the grace he has given me is changing me. When you think of your story, there's a cross and resurrection, is it in it? Or do you simply think of your story as one that you have by the own reins, that you have complete control of, that you're trying to control on your own strength and your own power, and Jesus is just something you try to grab at to come and say, hey, come and help me out here. Okay, thank you so much. Or is his story yours? Secondly, we're not simply people who are saved from sin, Right? That resurrection must be a part of your story. Um, we are gifted with the Spirit for the common good, as Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us, right? That God is trans... Uh, when you understand what the, what, what, what the command to love God and love neighbor and know why the Holy Spirit is given to us, what happens is we, we realize all of life becomes not about us, but about God and others. And it, it can make those simple things like a, who loves a pile of dishes in your, in your sink? Exactly. Nobody, right? We're not like excited to go wash our dishes. But what happens though when the Spirit fills us and changes us is a little, a little thing in our minds that says, you know what? Actually, people need clean dishes. Hey, I get to serve somebody. 
I want to wash the dishes with love because people need clean dishes. The mundane becomes transformed to an act of service and love for others. It's not something you need to escape anymore, right? Your marriage becomes something you don't need to escape anymore to go find some better spouse. It's a person that you used to say, wow, I have the opportunity to love and sacrificially come to this person with my life. Say, how can I give up myself for, for your flourishing? That's how Jesus transforms our marriages. Parenting becomes something like, instead of these kids, it's just an obstacle to my career, an obstacle to my achievements in life. No, it's like I get this precious stage of little kids in front of me, or teenagers, little ones, whatever age they might be, and say, God has gifted me with this, and I get to be a parent of them for this season of time. Lord, help me to do it. I don't want to escape this anymore. Lord, empower me to love and sacrifice even for my kids and be an agent of truth and discipline and care for them. God transforms the mundane and gives you power to face it with joy. Friends, I want to encourage you. What story is shaping you? What story is shaping you? The gospel story is your story, and I'm encouraging you this morning to live it, to embrace it, to embrace this gospel story as your own story. Uh, as we close here, if, if you're hearing this and, and you're not quite sure you're a Christian, the time is always available to place faith in Christ so his story can become yours, so your sin can be washed away, so he can be given new life from the Holy Spirit, all the gifts that he provides us in life. If you're a Christian here and you come and you're just bringing friction from your own day-to-day week and just a lack of contentment and just a feeling of like the world's caving in, I feel like I have to break free of this. There's a good chance that you are working relentlessly in your own strength to try to fix what's happening in your own heart. There's a good chance that you are just laboring to try to fill that void with whatever it might be, all right? There's a great chance you're doing that right now. Let Jesus fill that void. Let his story become your own. Turn from taking the steering wheel over your own reins, right? Let go of that. This is not about you. It's about him. So let me, um, let me pray. This is the time in our service we have what we call ministry time. We have people available for prayer. Um, as the last song is played, um, I made Derek sing this song last because sometimes music can really sing a sermon better than I can preach it. So this, this is like the sermon and song, okay? In case you get lost, like, what, what did he say the whole time? Well, just hear the words. They do it better than me. So listen to the lyrics. Sing this and pray it, and people will be available up front for you to come. If you need to confess of sin, come up. Repent, right? And we're, it's confidential. We're not going to tell anybody, right? We're, we're going we're to keep it, you know, between us, but just come and confess sin and be delivered from the burden that you're carrying. If you're looking for hope this morning, come forward and just, and just cry out to Jesus. We would love to minister to you. God wants to minister to you this morning and to meet you this morning. So um, we'll have men and women both available. And so uh, they're going to sing. Let me pray. And during the song and after, come forward for prayer. Um, Jesus, we, we love you, Lord. I, I just earnestly ask that our, our lives can be shaped by this story, Lord. For those who are just tired from trying to, to, 
to find meaning on their own strength and to, to fill that void in their life and are seeking for some kind of escape and they're just really have allowed this kind of cultural story that we've talked about this morning to kind of really just shape them too much. Lord, help us turn from that and just to embrace you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come even now into your people, Lord, and bring transformation into our hearts, Lord. Change us from the inside out, Jesus. We long to be people who are just shaped by you, shaped and participants of your story in our own lives, Lord. Help us to be people who are known as love as you are a God of love. Help us to be known as people who carry around in us to crucify Jesus in our, as, as we just continually die to our own sin. But Lord, help us to carry around the life of Jesus as we are being transformed into your image, Lord. Help us, Jesus, that Wilmington may see hope in this church and how we live and how we love, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives in deeper, more filling ways. We need you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you come up as the uh, Spirit leads? I who live, but Christ in me, for I've been born again. My heart is free, the hope of heaven before me, the grave behind. Hallelujah, you brought me back. Forget the moment I heard you call my name Out of the grip of darkness Into the light of grace Just like Lazarus You brought me back to life Where there was dead religion Now there is living faith all of my hope and freedom are found in Jesus' name. Just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. No longer I who live, but Christ in me, for I've been born a of heaven before me, the grave behind, hallelujah, you brought me back to life. When something says I am guilty, I want to the price you paid. When something says I'm not worthy, I point to the empty grave. Just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again, my heart is 
you for all that you've done for me. Jesus, to fully praise you, it will take all eternity. Just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. 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 No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again. My for me the grave